0: Romans chapter 4, verses 9 through 17, is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. he was circumcised. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace, and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we ask for your help as we want to hear and think about and apply your word. Oh Lord, we thank you that, as the scriptures say, your word is sufficient. It's sufficient for us to come to the knowledge of the gospel. It's sufficient for us to be saved if we put our faith and hope in what the gospel proclaims. Your word is sufficient for us, Father, to be men and women who are fully able, fully equipped to do your will and to honor you in our lives. Oh, Lord, thank you. Thank you for giving us your word and help us now to have our attention focused on what you are saying to us through Romans chapter 4. And it's in the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen. Well, as I mentioned last Sunday, I grew up singing Sunday school songs like Father Abraham, which goes Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham, I am one of them, and so are you, so let's all praise the Lord. The song teaches the amazing truth that Christians today have a direct connection, a family relationship with the Abraham that we read about in the book of Genesis. And here in Romans chapter 4, we are learning that the family relationship, that family relationship, and and the reason why we can declare that we are truly sons of Father Abraham is because God justifies sinners as righteous before him by faith alone. As Paul argued in uh, verses 1 through 8 of chapter 4, Abraham was not justified before God, was not counted righteous before God by any work that he did, but simply by his faith, by believing God and before God um, by, uh, and resting his hope on God before any law had been given to Abraham to obey He trusted in God's promises. He proved his argument by directly quoting Genesis 15 and verse 6, back in uh, verse 3 of chapter 4, where it says there, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So he believes the promise that God gives. God counts his faith, his trust of that promise as righteousness. He credits Abraham with righteousness. And this is at the heart of the good news of the gospel of God that Romans is all about. And and Paul wants to emphasize this for his readers in the church in Rome back then, as well as for us today, for we all tend to look within ourselves for the reason why God would accept us as righteous we think it must be that way for this is how almost everything else works in our fallen world if you're looking for a different job maybe a job that will that will pay you more uh, a job with uh, better uh, career advancement opportunities um, what do you have to do in order to get that job well you have to fill out this job application listing Your qualifications for the job you will then provide a resume that details your past work experiences your education and a list of other significant awards or certifications that you have earned to show that you are qualified for that job that they're offering you'll also need to provide a list of references so that the prospective employer can can ask others about whether or not you really are qualified enough because you've earned their respect or you've proven yourself to be worthy to them. Another reason why Paul emphasizes uh, this in this uh, passage is we also despise having to humble ourselves and having to admit our need for help. The examples of this attitude are limitless in my own experience of how I act and of course as well as those I know how they personally live. You know the whole I can do it myself. Thank you very much. I don't need your advice. I don't need your counsel. I don't need your help. I've got this. We're also convinced that we are overall good people. We think you know I'm not like those really bad people. Surely God would consider me to be righteous compared to so many others. I mean, there's there's an endless list of examples I could point to that are worse than I am. Or we may be of the opposite persuasion. And when we compare ourselves with others, or compare ourselves with, with what God commands or expects, well, we know we know we have fallen way short of where we ought to be. And so we despair. We believe that there's no way we could ever be considered righteous before God. That he would never count us as just before him. That he's probably given up on us. He's probably given up on us long ago. But we're being shown here in Romans chapter 3 and 4, that out of God's great mercy, God has already done the work of justification for us in and through His Son Jesus Christ. We saw in Romans 3 that, that God put Christ forward as a propitiation. That is, Christ paid the penalty for our sins by suffering the death that we deserved on the cross, His sacrifice satisfied God's wrath against his sinful people. And so now if we trust in him alone as doing all that was necessary for us to be made right with God, then God will declare us righteous before him through that faith, through our looking to Christ for our salvation, not ourselves. Again, Romans 1, 16 and 17, kind of the key Uh, theme verses for the whole book Paul says for I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to who to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek for in it that is in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as is written the righteous shall live by faith amen That is how God justifies sinners today. That is how God has always justified sinners, as Paul showed us with the example of Abraham. And and back in Genesis 15, 6, that Paul quoted in verse 3 of chapter 4, the promise that Abraham believed from God was that God would make his descendants number as many as the stars in the sky. It was a way of saying that God would make him the father of many nations. In fact, Abraham's name means father of a multitude. And now in our passage for this morning, we we are being shown that it is only through the gospel of justification by faith alone that God's promise to Abraham could be realized. So that's our main theme from verses 9 through 17 this morning. It's only through the gospel of justification by faith alone that God's promise to Abraham could be realized. I have three headings that will lead us through this passage this morning, and they're all focusing on the necessity that justification before God must come by faith alone. Paul already established this uh, in verses one through eight that justification cannot be by works, and now we see in in our passage that justification cannot be through circumcision, verses nine through twelve. Secondly, that just justification cannot be through the law. That's verses 13 through 15. And then finally, justification must be by faith alone in 16 and verse 17. So first, verses 9 through 12, justification cannot be through circumcision. Now, again, the Apostle Paul is, is continuing his focus on Abraham, using him as an example. As we talked about last week, about why Abraham would be a very important example for both the Jews and, and the Gentiles that were reading this. For Abraham was called by God out of an idolatrous society. He was he was a Chaldean uh, from the, the very area that became known as Babylon, which is synonymous in the Bible for worldliness and antagonism against God and his people. But he then became the patriarch, the father of God's covenant people. So all Jews trace their lineage, their, their origin back to Abraham. He was revered by the Jews and he was admired by the Gentile believers. He was well known as being considered righteous or accepted before God. And so Paul highlights the question, how was Abraham justified before God? In verses 1 through 8, Paul clearly showed that Abraham was justified by faith and not by his works. For the scriptures say again, Abraham believed God and it was counted, that is, his faith was counted or credited to him as righteousness. God made a promise to Abraham of something that God would do for him. And he trusted God's promise. And God then declared that Abraham was justified for all time by simply receiving that gift from God, not by anything that he did. Now in verses 9-12, Paul's is asking the question, what about Abraham's circumcision? Was Abraham justified on account of his circumcision? Is that how God works to justify people? By their following in the covenant of circumcision? Let's look again at verses 9-12. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised. It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received a sign of, of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So you can see how relevant this question would be for the church of Rome, which was made up of believers who had a Jewish background, that is, who were circumcised, as well as believers who were from a non-Jewish background, who were not circumcised. I hope you see how pertinent this question would be for us as well, particularly in regards to, to missions, right? And attempting to make disciples of people from all sorts of different backgrounds and cultures. Is circumcision required for someone to be counted as righteous before God? If you want to see how controversial of a question this was for the Jewish Christians, just look at Acts chapter 15. There in verse 1 of Acts 15, That tells us about what happened within uh, the church uh, made up of uh, both Jewish and Gentile believers. Some men, it says there, some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So that was the controversy. These Jews were then teaching a justification by circumcision, not justification by faith. They may have said, yeah, faith in Christ is required. Faith, in fact, is is foundational. But it is a faith plus circumcision that justifies you, not faith in Christ alone. You need something else. So once again, Paul goes to to the Scriptures here to look for his answer. What does the Scripture say? And in verse 10, How then was it counted to him, he asked? Was it before or after he had been been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. In Genesis chapter 15, when, when God's word came to Abraham and he made him him that promise that he would give him and his wife Sarah a son from his own body, that through that son would then come innumerable descendants, as many as the stars in the the night sky. Then it wasn't until chapter 17, at least 14 years later, chronologically, some, some would even say longer than that, that God commanded Abraham and his whole household to be circumcised as a sign of the spiritual, the special covenant uh, relationship that God had made with Abraham. So in other words, Abraham was counted as justified before God long before he was circumcised. Long before God commanded him to be circumcised. Therefore, justification cannot be by circumcision. It must be by faith. Therefore, circumcision is not necessary for one to be justified before God. Faith alone is sufficient. And this makes it clear that the sign of circumcision that Jewish boys had received, for the most part, ever since Abraham, was not what made them acceptable in God's sight. It did it did not make them the spiritual children of Abraham, even though they were descendants of Abraham according to the flesh. It was also a clear indication that God was fulfilling his promise to Abraham that he would be a father of a multitude of nations not just the Jewish nation because circumcision was was unnecessary to belong to that promised family only faith in God's promise was so the door is open the door is open for for people from all kinds of backgrounds including you and me who are not Jews To become the sons of Abraham, as long as we, as it says, walk in the footsteps of the faith that Abraham had before he was circumcised. And what is that faith? It is believing God, trusting that he is able to accomplish what he has said he will do. In our case, it is trusting that Jesus is the Son of God who lived the perfectly righteous life that we couldn't live. And then he died as our substitute on the cross, paying the just penalty for our sin against God, and was then raised from the dead, and now serves as our high priest and mediator between God and man. Now, I want you to know what Paul is teaching us here in verse 11. Look at verse 11. Here Paul is explaining what circumcision was for Abraham. He was already—he's he's already proven that being circumcised does not save anyone from God's judgment. It's faith that does, for that's how it was in the case of Abraham. Now he is showing that for Abraham, circumcision was a sign of the faith that Abraham already had. It was an outward sign of an inward or invisible reality that Abraham was already considered acceptable or righteous in God's sight. So in, in so doing, he was showing that the religious ceremonies were never efficacious in and of themselves. Faith is what saves, not participating in religious ceremonies. And so, we as Christians are also to understand baptism. Baptism is... An outward sign that points to an inward reality. A sinner comes to believe that Jesus is who God says he is. That he is the Lord and the Savior. And his faith in Christ justifies him before God as it justified Abraham. And he's made a new creation. He's born again. He, he repents of his sin and turns away from looking to himself and his own works for his righteousness before God, and he then professes that faith before his church and then is baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in that church to show that he already belongs to Christ. Just like with Abraham and circumcision, baptism doesn't Confer righteousness For a believer The waters of baptism do not save A believer It simply confirms That the believer is already justified Before God By his or her faith Faith alone Is what justifies Not circumcision Not baptism Not any outside Religious ceremony or work done to the person or by the person, it's faith alone. Secondly, justification cannot be through the law, verses 13 and 15 here. Let's take a look at those again. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law that are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. The promise that God made to Abraham, which he trusted, was that God would bless him with a multitude of descendants, and that God would bless his descendants to the point that one day they would inherit the world. Not only would Abraham be the father of people of faith from all over the world, but that his people would receive the world as an inheritance. Not just the land of Canaan, but the whole world. That's what it's saying. As Jesus also said in Matthew five, "Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth." Abraham or his descendants could not receive this blessing through their obedience to the law, but only by faith. The first reason is what Paul already taught in verses one through eight. The Scriptures say, "Abraham believed God, and was counted him as righteousness." Abraham was already counted as righteous through his faith long before the law was given. So it can't be through the law. But the law was given, and it was given to his offspring. And so in order for his offspring to receive the promise, must we make sure to follow the law? Will the blessing come to us based on whether or not we can follow the law? That's what Paul is asking here. That's that's the question. And it seems like a reasonable principle right? The Lord gives the law. The Lord provides a clear reward for those who can follow it. If they can't follow it, well, they don't deserve the reward. The Lord has given them the opportunity. If they can't do it, they don't deserve it. They don't deserve to inherit the world. Of course, there's a major problem with that. That is, God's promise to Abraham could never have been fulfilled because no one can keep the law. None of his descendants would have been able to keep the law. So God's promise to Abraham that he would be heir to the world could, could never happen. As verse 15 says, For the law brings wrath. Humanity has been sinful since Adam and Eve's fall in the garden. Then, the, the, then God gave the law. And it turned our sin into transgression. For now, Abraham's descendants had the written law out uh, for them to follow. And, 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 and when they sinned, they transgressed that written law, which provoked God's wrath against them. We simply cannot keep the law, and therefore, we will face God's wrath. That's the reality of our situation. That's the reality that, 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 that has been so since the law was given. As one modern translation put it in verse 15, the only way for us to avoid breaking the law is if we had no law to break. That's the only way. So Paul is trying to show us the great difference between the way that we might like to think we are blessed, that is by obeying the law, and the way we are actually blessed, that is by faith in God's promise. And there's a great difference between depending upon the law and depending upon God's promise. The law says, you shall, which demands our obedience. While God's promise says, I will, and encourages our faith. So using Abraham as as the example here, God did not say to Abraham, You shall obey the law, and then you will be blessed. God said, I will bless you. Believe my promise. And that is what we see God say to Abraham over and over again. In Genesis 12, he says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Then the Lord said similar things to his son, Isaac. And then to Isaac's son, Jacob. I will bless you. I will give you. I will make you a blessing. I will be with you. I will, I will, I will. God is doing it. It's God's actions. And he's inviting them to put their faith in him and his word. That is the way of blessing. That is the way to be made right with God, simply by trusting in his promise. Believing his word about Christ, resting your hope in him and not in your own ability or your own obedience. If our salvation depended upon how well you we follow the law, we would all be doomed. In my reading this week, I came across the, this, this insight from Francis Schaefer, um, who was a pastor and, and an evangelist who led a ministry in Switzerland in the, the 50s, 60s, and 70s called uh, Le Brie. Uh, many, many uh, people in, in that time uh, would, would come to Brie to just talk with Francis Schaeffer about their deep questions about the world, um, uh, particularly relating to existentialism and who are we and why are we here and what's going on and, and all that. And, and Schaeffer would, would disciple them and, 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 and teach them the gospel. And Schaeffer noted that in Exodus, when the law was given... At the same time, God also gave Moses the instructions for building the altar for the sacrifices of atonement for the people, for the sin offerings. So Scripture shows that God's plans for the law were never for his people to have a way to be justified before him by their obedience to the law. For when God gave the law to his people he also gave at the same time the way for them to make sacrifices for their sin when they would break the law. For he knew they wouldn't be able to keep the law. That was never the way of justification. The altar, of course, then pointed forward to Christ's sacrifice on the cross where God made atonement for our sin once and for all time by the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, Jesus Christ. So we can never look to ourselves, can never look to ourselves to do enough of the right things for our justification. We are justified by faith in God's promise. And faith looks outside of ourselves to Christ, who accomplished all the work necessary for us to be counted righteous before God and have our sins completely taken away from us so that we then can inherit the new world that God will establish with all of the children of Abraham and thirdly here justification must be by faith alone last two verses 16 and 17 that is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring not only to the inheritor of the law but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead, and calls into existence the things that do not exist. As we re-read earlier, um, uh, from chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Both Jews... And Gentiles and then in it in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed that is God declares or counts as righteous all those who believe the good news of the gospel and so the righteous shall live by faith or by his faith the only way to be justified in God's sight is by faith in the gospel that is to believe or trust in the Word of God regarding what Christ has accomplished in his life death and resurrection from the dead. Christians live by and will eternally live by faith in that good news. Now here in verses 16 and 17 these two verses make clear that it that that it is also how it must be for God's promise to Abraham to be fulfilled. The very promise that Abraham believed to be justified before God was that God would bless him with a multitude of descendants as many as the stars in the the clear night sky over the promised land it had to be by faith because that is the nature of a promise a promise is something that God declared he would do and will have to be believed in order for that person to experience and enjoy it it had to be by faith and not works because in our sin All of our works fall short of God's glory. It had to be by faith and not circumcision because then the promise would have had to have been that Abraham would only be the father of one nation, the Jews, and not many nations. And the promise had to be by faith and not by the law, for there was only one nation who had the law. And therefore, it is impossible for anyone to keep it. So, all the law does is condemn us and show us we are under God's wrath since we have failed to keep it and we have outright rejected it. So, no one would be saved if justification was dependent upon our following the law. And that is why it depends on faith, verse says. That's why. That's why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed. To all Abraham's offspring. Justification is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. God gives it. That's what grace means. It it is, it is a gift. Grace gives, and then faith receives. Faith realizes we cannot depend upon ourselves, for we are guilty sinners. Faith realizes. We, we can't depend upon any religious ceremonies, for that would be a work that we would have to do in, or, in order to earn our righteousness. And then we would be able to boast over others, if that were the case. And faith realizes we, we cannot follow the law, for we are powerless to keep it all. So therefore, we hear the gospel of God's grace in what, in what he sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to do for us, and then faith humbly receives what grace offers. So my friends, do you have faith? Do you have faith in Christ for your justification? Are you looking to him? Or are you looking to yourself for your right standing with God? Do you feel like you've got some work to do? You've got some work to do to change yourself for God to love you, for God to accept you. I've got to change a few things. I've got to get this straightened out. I've got to get this right before God will ever accept me. Do you fear that there's no way God could ever accept you or receive you because of the evil that you've done? Or the terrible things that you've thought about? Or how your life is a mess? You just can't seem to ever get things worked out the way that they ought to be. You doubt it could ever be made right. Maybe you have been having a very hard time believing that God has really justified you because you just don't feel close to him like maybe you once did. You've tried praying and you've tried coming to church and singing the songs and reading your Bible, but you just just don't feel close to God. You feel so distant from Him. Like maybe you've walked away from Him. Or maybe He's just let you go. Whatever it might be, I want you to look with me at verse 17 here. Verse 17 starts with the promise that God made to Abraham that the gospel of justification by faith enables to be fulfilled. And then we're given a description of the God in whom Abraham believed. The very God that made this amazing promise to a man who was almost 100 years old with no son and whose wife was well beyond the age of childbearing. As is written, I have made you the father of many nations. God said this to Abraham before Isaac was born. I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, here's the description, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. That is the God you are called to trust. That is the God who is inviting you to depend upon him. This is the God who we are to look to, who we are to hope in. The verbs here in this description are, are, are both present active participles. Which it, it means he is the one who, who is presently giving life to the dead and is presently calling into existence the things that do not exist. He has done it for me. 32 years ago, he did this for me when I was dead in my sins, following the ways of the world like everyone else. And then he called me to new life in Christ and he continues to do it with others in here calling faith into existence where it did not exist, giving life to someone who's dead in their sins. And he can do that for you as well. So trust him. Call out to him. Believe that Christ has already done all the work for you to be righteous in God's sight and humbly receive what grace offers. And know, No matter how you feel, if you trust in Christ, that He's your righteousness, you are justified before God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so grateful for this word of the gospel that we've been able to think about and meditate on today. I pray for each one here that each one would truly examine their heart and and see whether or not they have put their faith and hope in Christ alone. Or whether or not they're looking to something else. Lord, draw us to yourself, we pray, through your word. Grant us faith and repentance. And help us to live and be shaped by your gospel. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.